<laughs> Hello, welcome to tonight's live show. Sorry, I don't know why I decided to do that. It's just so randomly, really weird, random thing. Welcome to tonight's show. As you can see, I'm in a different environment than the basement studio. I'm actually, I'm upstairs right now. The whole family is out of the house, so it's very quiet. And I have a lot of stuff set up up here, so I'm upstairs tonight. And uh, it's nice to uh, be live. I can't remember. When was the last time we went live? It's been It's been a minute. And by a minute, probably like eight days, which is like what any normal person, because I'm a freak and go live every day at eight days feels like, you know, two months. Hi, Jane. How are you? Welcome to the stream tonight. Uh, I, you know, I say this every time we do it, but I really mean it. I really mean it every time. I'm so excited for tonight's guest. This is a dude who uh, I have not. Uh, caught up with in quite a while, so it's gonna be great to just uh, uh, say hello after after it's it's been a spell. Um, he is another filmmaker, and he's a filmmaker like me. Uh, he has um, this. He has a quite the to do in a production company, and he's got lots of fingers and lots of pies, and, and we're gonna hear all about it. So I'd like to welcome to Pizza Punk. My friend Tony Wash, Tony, how are so, you? How you doing? I'm well, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's it's nice to be. As I was just saying, it's nice to be live on the show. We do this often. That's just how how we we roll here on the Frumis channel. And you know, it's funny how you know I you know you start off in like maybe like the filmmaker space and how it kind. Of, Kind of has bled. YouTube has become this brand new frontier of sorts, and I know that on your side of things, at least you know, uh, first with World of Death, and now with you know um, uh, other other things that we're going to speak about shortly. That um, that you guys have been dabbling with YouTube as well. Uh, what's that experience been like for you? Well, bloody disgusting. You know, that's where we ran World of Death through. Um, play disgusting has such a large following that, you know, I think they had at the time we were doing world of death, uh, cause we stopped back in 2020, um, and progressed to the new thing we're going to talk about. Um, we, I think they had like 65,000 subscribers on their YouTube channel, which is, it's a lot, it's not a ton compared to some, but it's enough to where we had a decent fan base and a good audience for it. Um, and I think it really helped generate a good buzz for World of Death. Is that plant moving on its own behind you, or? Oh no! The plant is eating me. Tony, save me! Save me! Tony. Your are never green. Jesus. <laughs> I couldn't. I think, uh, Jason Eisner made a movie about that about attack. Yeah, the Trevenge was really good. It's really good. Do you know that dude who made that? I don't know him personally, but he knows all the bloody disgusting guys. Um, and he's one of the ones that I think he did something with one of the VHSs. And I, yes, because he did the alien short in VHS two. And oh, they I just, like that one. The feature length of that. Yeah, it's great. It's super great. It's what I love about the second VHS 
in particular is that the second VHS, they the filmmakers took low budget and they stretched it as much as they could. They said, we're going to use creativity instead of money to make a cool film. And and his short is, is a testament to that fact where they, they did really cool effects with like the tunnel and all that stuff with the kids. And they just finished shooting the feature length version of that story a couple months oh. ago. So yeah. after Sirens, Sirens was another one that got spun out. I did not know that there was a second one. That's fantastic. Yeah, Phenomenal. it's super fantastic for, for independent filmmakers like us because that's – and that's part of the goal with what we want to talk about regarding, you know, Blade Disgusting and their channel, Blade Disgusting TV and Screenbox, which we, you know, are, are working with now. It's like the opportunities for independent filmmakers are really growing and yeah. – and well, you disgusting is such a big avenue that we're, we're, I'm really excited to be a part of it and hope that not only is it going to give me opportunities as a filmmaker to perpetuate some of my ideas, but also get some of my friends out there who are talented filmmakers to get stuff made as well. Before we launch into that and dive into that, um, uh, just take me back, just refresh my memory. You've made four features now, right? For Scott, where did you come up with the name Scotchworthy? So super quick, in 2001, summer before my senior year of college, I worked for Cutco selling the kitchen knives. Um, <laughs> and it was a great job. It was a great summer job. All we did was drink the entire time and party. And it was a bunch of college kids working together. So we just had a blast and made it good money because the economy was good and everybody was spending money on stupid shit like $700 kitchen knives. Disposable and- income. Yes, it, it was pretty awesome. And I worked with a guy there named Bill. And Bill and I talked about making movies together. He was a cinematographer and a gaffer and was going to Columbia, which is a big film school in Chicago. That's where and I went to film school. What's that? I went to Columbia. Oh, you went to Columbia. Okay. So yeah. you went to Columbia. So yes. you might have gone there when Bill Balick was going there. So I, I was there from 2000. I was there from 2006 to 2009, so I think afterwards. Oh, but I exactly. loved great yeah. school. Loved yeah, Columbia. yeah. I, I debated going there, and then I opted to do the general education thing instead, which was really a great experience. But it didn't help me hone any filmmaking skills. I had to do that on my own with my first feature. Um, but so Bill and I, we were at a convention for Cutco, and these two district managers were they bet whoever's district sold more in like a two-week period, um, the other guy would buy him a bottle of Louis Trey. And so we were like, well, we can't afford, you know, a whiskey or a scotch or anything like that that's that expensive. But we started going and seeing movies in the theater. And at the time, horror was kind of piss poor. Um, And so we made a bet where we're like, do we think that we're going to see a movie that's awesome before we make our own, or are we going to make our own movie that's awesome first? And so we started going and saying, is this a Scotch worthy movie? And it just, you know, grew from there. And I just used the name. At I one point, love I like, that. It, it, people don't really understand it. They think I really love Scotch and I don't, I actually like bourbon more but, or beer as you can see right here. Bourbon worthy. It doesn't, it doesn't roll off the tongue. It doesn't roll off the tongue. You're right. So um, so that's where the name came from. But yes, I I created Scotchworthy Productions in 2005 when I was going to Tom Savini's special effects school in Pittsburgh. Um, I went there from 04 to 06. And while I was going there, I shot my first feature, 
which is a choose your own adventure horror movie called it's my party and I'll die if I want to. Um, it's so it's choose your own adventure on the, the DVD um, that you can buy from me or from my website. Uh, link but, in the description, people link in the description. Link in the description. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's pretty cool. It's an homage to night of the demons, creep show and evil dead. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's got a lot of really great fun eighties vibes in it. It's a haunted house film with creatures and stuff like that and zombies. And so, um, really, really enjoyed it because as difficult as it was to do, it, it really helped teach me how to make a movie and what not to do to make a movie. And then from there, you know, I've just been making them ever since. So it's, I'm on my 17th year as a filmmaker uh, which is hard to believe. It's gone by very fast. Surreal, isn't it? When that when the time passes. Um, okay, let me. How long ago did we did we meet at Nightmare Film Festival? That was what year? Twenty eighteen, maybe. Dude, that was twenty seventeen. So we've okay. known each other by acquaintance since twenty seventeen. However, okay, so now I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it back even a little bit further, and then I want to ask you. I want to ask you two questions, but before I do that, so. I remember the reason why I even knew world of death in the first place is because you and I, we both did the ABCs of death two contest. And there was like, that was like a whole scene of like indie horror people that were all like just making stuff. And I miss, I wished it like they kept making those and that they kept having those competitions because they they just charge you up and like, like hype you up and like that you want to go out and make something. And that was the letter M they had done it. The letter T for the first one. And then it was the letter M I love ABCs of death. I, I could watch those. If, if you gave me 45 of those movies, I would just watch them endlessly. That is a shit ton of short films. I, and uh, you know, it's, it's like watch. It's like going to a really well-programmed, uh, shorts block at a film festival watching one of those ABCs of death. And you did one. I did one. A bunch of people did one. And that spit you guys sort of like, like banded together a bunch of you. I don't know if it was just you or who, how, how that happened, but suddenly there was this thing that was going to be world of death. And it was going to be a Blu-ray set. I remember there was going to be the Blu-ray set and eventually it evolved into your, you know, you partnered with uh bloody disgusting and, uh, it turned into the the YouTube channel, which I thought was a really I thought that was a really great sort of like constructive way to, you know, channel all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, World of Death was was incepted because the ABCs of Death contest was basically saying like, hey, you know, make this movie. If you don't win, we don't own your movie. You do. And so I didn't want to make a short film initially because they cost money and they take time and I didn't want to spend money or time doing a movie. And I didn't want to ask my friends to de devote time to another movie that I wasn't paying them for. And I had like four other friends, I think four or five other friends that were making shorts. I worked on, I think two other shorts um, for it. And then one day I was honestly, I was sh sitting on the shitter and I was looking out the window in the bathroom and I was looking at the pond in our backyard and I was like, I should make one called the Merc. M is for Merc. Right. Did fishing and he's got his dog 
and like the dog gets pulled into the water basically by like the raft episode in, in creep show two. Creep show two. Yeah. Um, yeah. And which is my favorite easily from the creep show movies. And it's such a cool so short. Good. So yeah, good. So good. And so I thought, let's do that. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't want my friend Jason, who's my special effects guy, to get in this dirty ass pond and wear a garbage bag to be the monster. <laughs> so I started evolving it and eventually became the girl. I, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to recreate Sigourney Weaver's scene when she gets taken by the demons in Ghostbusters when she okay. from working out. And so I, I basically wanted to recreate that. And that's what we did with the muck. Um, and so we didn't win and none of my friends won and neither did 554 other filmmakers. And so what we did was we said, well, <laughs> The whole reason I said I'm going to do it is because we basically said, okay, we know, I think it, after the fact, we knew seven or eight people that had made shorts for it. And we said, well, okay, we'll just take all of our eight short films and we'll put them on a DVD and a Blu-ray and we'll sell them for five bucks a piece because I do a lot of the conventions and stuff. And for five bucks, anybody's going to buy a, a, a Blu-ray because that's yeah. cheap. Um, and then we started emailing people and, and had other people reaching out to us saying, hey, I heard you're doing this. Can we be a part of it? And we got some friends who had filmmakers in Australia and in England and in Canada that were wanting to be a part of it too, that I'd never even met. And so that started the networking. And that's how my, my partner, Jim Peterson came up with the name world of death. And we just, we ran with it. And in the end we showcased in 200 plus episodes of world of death on bloody disgusting's YouTube channel. Wow. We featured over 500 short films we represented filmmakers from more than 50 countries, which is super badass. Um, I mean, 50 plus countries. Think about that. You know, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's insane. You know, I mean, we had filmmakers from all over Africa and Europe and, you know, South America and, and Asia. It's just, it's insane to think of all the different people that I met through the five years that I was running world of death. Now um, there was that one from Brazil, the, the vampire one mailbox m is for mailbox maybe that's a great short film it, that should have won like that was so great it was so awesome and i was like kind of like uh I, I i just thought it was like just really really well done did that did that wind up in world of death out of curiosity no so here's the cool thing and and it, it pissed us off at the time but it's it, i'm actually really happy in a selfless manner because of what it did for the filmmakers that it happened to. But so when, when we started reaching out to, because we contacted as many of the ABCs of death filmmakers that didn't win the contest right. that we find. And so we reached out to, I want to say initially 240 different filmmakers in, in like, we're talking about like the three week span after ABCs of death two ended their contest and put up the five finalists. I think it was, there's five or 10 finalists. So we started right. reaching out. We hit up 240 filmmakers that we found on Facebook and Vimeo and Instagram and uh, and YouTube. And we contacted them. We started getting tons of people saying yes. And then I think there was a couple of people who were like, hey, hey, ABC's a death. By the way, there's these guys over here doing this. You might want to, you know, is that legal? And in the it said specifically in the rules, it's like, we don't own your movie. You can do whatever you want with it. And that's what we were doing is saying, look, you made a movie. We want to help you expose audiences to your movie. Right. So let's band together because 
a one person, one film crew alone is one crew, but together we're an army of filmmakers and let's, let's band together and get the, the word out. And so ABC's the death, actually, they put out an email saying, Hey, we I can't remember that. Remember it. And, and it's like, we can't that. Stop it from happening, but we don't recommend you do it or whatever. Cause they were pissed off and it's like, sorry, but you know what they said? I'll tell you what they said. They said they, they, it was kind of like they dangled a shiny, um, sort of lure. They were like, Hey, we might consider you again in the future. It was something about and, And you know what? Like if they, if that was legitimately true, I would have like, you know, I mean, I thought it was kind of true at the time, but it was, it was a ploy. And that was that was more upsetting to me because it's like, you know, if you like were in seriously considering, I would respect that, you know, but like you said that because you just didn't want something competing with what you were doing. You didn't like that. I mean, that's. And, and, but that and that was my that was my perspective all along is I was basically sitting there saying like, like, forgive me for saying this, but like, screw you guys, because it's like if, if you would have just come in here and said, hey, guys. We heard you're doing this. This is tremendous. We think it's so cool that you're banding all these filmmakers together to showcase their work because there were so many good short films in that contest. So many. There were a lot. There were so many. And it's like you're picking one out of 550 movies. One wins. And so if if you're gonna if you're gonna come in here and say, look, guys, what you're doing is a really great idea. We want to support it. That not only helps the filmmakers that join the contest but it shows that you've got you're, you're selfless and that you're using your avenues of distribution and 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 everything to make yourselves look better you know Do you remember what happened next right after that and that's why i said when i started this 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 conversation out i love the fact that what we did was we caused them to go and make abcs of death was it 2.5 or 1.5? I think it was they did, there were, I don't think there was a 1.5, but they they took they made a 2.5 and it was like sort of like a and I was stoked. I mean, I guess they kind of I guess maybe they weren't bluffing in the sense that they like, okay, these guys are going to do that. So let's take 25 of these things, 26 of these things and and slap them together. It's 26 Ms. And they did. And you know, 26 people out of 500 something people you know, uh, got put together in, in an anthology. I mean, that's cool. I'm glad that happened. However, it was, that was, uh, that was, uh, you know, under the ribs. It was, right. and we, we lost, I'd say we probably of those 20 something films that were on ABC's death 2.5, I'd say at least 10 to 15 of them were going to be a part of world of death. And, and then that I did not know. Yes, and when they got there was this amazing one. Ugh, well, Gigi Guerrero's, which she had talked about putting her short in World of Death. Um, she did was, ABC's of Death too. I did not know that. He, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, El Gigante. I think was was the short. I don't know what it was called. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know what it was called when when it was the M. Right. She, I think they changed the title, and now it's on Shutter as El Gigante or Gigante. I don't know how to pronounce it appropriately. I didn't take Spanish, unfortunately, but um, she was in there. Um, there was this awesome filmmaker named Peter from like, I don't remember if it was uh, uh, like, like Ukraine or, or Russia or somewhere. And he had this 
awesome zombie short film that we were really excited about. And so we lost a handful of really good ones. But I'll tell you what, the fact that those filmmakers got to be promoted through ABCs of Death when they wouldn't have because they didn't win initially, that to me was a big victory on our behalf for the community. I and agree. Beyond that, beyond that, it ended up being okay anyway because I partnered with Bloody Disgusting and we made World of Death a, a big entity that lasted for five years until we evolved it into the thing we're going to talk about in a bit. I'm not yeah. I'm just well, you know, it's interesting too. I just, I, it what it was a better venue for that. It really was. It was a better venue because the idea of the box set idea or the Blu-ray idea, especially as we've seen like Blu-ray has slowly, I mean, at least at that time, Blu-ray was still kind of strong. I mean, this is, you know, the mid, the mid 2010s. And now Blu-ray has become just like niche, like boutique style so I think that all really worked out really well in terms of like getting the most eyeballs on the shorts, you know, from a platform where people could see it around the world. It was actually kind of ahead of its time because, and, you know, uh, I guess maybe I'm speaking a little out of turn, but it's just, I think it's just the reality. I think filmmakers generally have always sort of had a stigma towards YouTube in terms of like it just not being like, you know, uh, a legitimate platform. And I think that's changed, especially considering technology and the fact that right next to Netflix, right next to Hulu, right next to Amazon Prime, there's a little icon for YouTube. You can watch it anywhere. You can watch it on your TV. You know, if your channel is monetized, then the only partner that you have for a worldwide streaming platform is Google. Essentially, Google's taking 50% or whatever kind of amazing in 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 uh now at least i think it's interesting so i think it was a good i think it was a really good thing that that world of death ended up there yeah and, and it, I'm, I'm glad that blade disgusting supported it they thought it was a cool idea and at the time alter was was still a smaller YouTube right channel. and then there was crypt tv but other than that nobody else was featuring short films on a broad scale it was like you know filmmakers had their own youtube channel and that was it. And and you could only promote it as much as you could promote it. And, you know, back then, even Facebook was still working with their algorithms. So it was hard to promote stuff without paying for ad space and all that. And so, yeah, I was I was very grateful that Brad and Tom at Blade Disgusting wanted to support World of Death and thought it was a cool idea. Um, and and then, you know, on top of that, the great thing, too, is that we did do a four disc Blu-ray set. And it's great because the filmmakers I did not know that it did come out. Yes, we we did a four disc set. We actually have three more discs that are in the works. They've taken me a long time to put together. <laughs> oh my God. I've been renovating this house that we've been building for two years, and uh, and I've been busy doing a lot of other stuff. But yes, we have three more uh, um, three more volumes that are coming out. So they're at least wow. And the, so the four discs are great because the filmmakers, basically what we did is we said, look, each filmmaker, do you want to be a part of the Blu-ray set? If you want to include your movie, all I ask is you buy 10 movies at the, the cost of, of making the disc. And it was like nine bucks or something. So you're paying $90 to me plus shipping from me in Illinois to you, wherever you are. And then you can have as many as you want or as few as you want, as long as you get at least 10. And then if you want to buy the other discs, you can too. I, I bought a hundred of each copy 
and I sell them at conventions and people buy the box set like, like wildfire because, wow. Oh, I'm going to put this on a Halloween party or I'm going to stream it all weekend because it's like 10 and a half hours worth of short horror films and they love it. So I, you know what? It was ahead of the game, man. That really was ahead of the game at the time. I, I personally, I could not see that, but I see how that makes sense, especially in an age where, you know, especially, you know, in, on the convention circuit too, it's, it really was, it was ahead of its time. Let me ask you this question. And it's something I prepped you. I prompted you right before we went live. Um, Do you think I have to ask every guest this, do you think pizza is punk punk? And if it is punk, why is it punk? And if it's not punk, why is it not punk? I mean, it's one of the weirdest questions I've ever been asked. I'll be completely honest, Jeff. Um, I, you know, it's tough because I, I want to say it can be punk, um, because you you think about like the small mom and pop shops that you get a good pie from. That's just like it's sloppy. You know, it doesn't look like it's 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 like well organized in terms of like their distribution of pepperoni and shit like that. <laughs> you know, the cheese is melted over the side or whatever, but it's freaking delicious. Right. And that's, what's great about punk is that it may not be well produced. It might be fucking written in a garage, but it sounds amazing. And you know, it, it just hits you at the core. Um, like a really good pizza, at least in my opinion, like I love a good Rosati's pizza. I absolutely love it. Um, Oh, that's right. You're in Chicago. I forgot. But at the same point in time, it's like become so commercialized. I mean, there's a fucking pizza place on every corner, like a mattress store and a cleaners, you know? This is true. So, you know, but there's commercialized punk if you think about it. So that also, also true. And every answer is subjectively valid. And so thank you for answering the thesis question of the show. Nice. So glad that I answered it and didn't sound like a moron because I've been thinking about it. I'm like, what the hell do I say to that question? I don't know how to answer that. I that but that's what makes it so great is because it's like this thing where like it it requires it requires the person to sort of the 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 person you're asking it to, it requires them to kind of interpret the question. When people interpret it, you get all sorts of different creativity. It's kind of like, you know, we all um, during COVID, we did this movie called The Transformations of the Transformations of Dr. Jenkins. And it was like 30 filmmakers all were given the exact same scene yeah. without being told it was the exact same scene. And we all made our own like interpretation of the scene. And you just, you take the same question or the same thing and you just sort of you 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 interpret it in your own way and so it's been very fun um asking people that question i want to ask you another question about filmmaking specifically five things five things that you would recommend as a filmmaker if someone wants to become a filmmaker too what are the five tony wash principles of filmmaking okay uh <laughs> just do it because there's no there's no excuse not to do it at this point other than the ones you're telling yourself which is sad because i haven't made a movie in five years so i should probably start telling myself the same damn thing um 
you got to do it. There's the, you could use your phone to make a movie nowadays. So just go and do it. That's the first thing. Um, because that's the best way you're going to learn. So I, I, that's the primary, most important thing. That's how I learned. Um, I think second thing, uh, you know, when you're doing it, well, first of all, make something that you love, you know, because you're going to have more fun if you enjoy what you're creating. Um, you know, they always say artists should create art for themselves. And if people like it, then good for them. Otherwise, you're at least making it for yourself. Um, and all of my movies, I've, I've been a fan of, of all of my films. Um, and they are very much the style of, except High in the Hog, I was hired to direct. But all of my horror films, I, I'm very much a fan of haunted house movies, monster movies, 80s horror movies. So that's why my films are the way that they are. Um, when you're on set, get to know all your all your cast and crew's names by the end of the first day and call everybody by name and talk to everybody on set. When you are the director or the producer, it is very important that everybody that works on your film feels important and feels, um, feels respected and knows that you appreciate that they are there. Because especially in the independent world, it is so hard to get people together um, you know and and have them stay and stay happy you know i was talking to a filmmaker buddy of mine a couple nights ago he sent me a screener to his feature and and we were talking about it and he was saying that it was like at a point where he had like some crew members trying to basically cause a mutiny because they thought it was going to be this other type of bigger production than it was and he's like you know, we're still making a movie here. Like, you know, we're doing our best. We're trying our hardest. So that's three, you know, um, feed everybody really well, no matter what, feed everybody, have a nice craft services table, you know, and, and make sure that the meals are decent. And if they're not decent, at least have more than one then so that people are well fed. Um, fifth thing, give enough time for practical special effects. Oh. Because if you're doing practical special effects on a movie, producers and directors and first assistant directors, who are the ones barking at the special effects artists to be quicker, none of them ever know how much time it's going to take for an effect to get set up and, and, and made to look good. Give them more than enough time. If you think it's going to take them an hour, give them three hours because it's going to take that long. When we did the female rake character in the rake, which I know you said you haven't seen, there's one of my probably my favorite scene in the movie. As much as I love the end transformation, which I saw that monster, I've seen the monster is a, uh, and I'll tell you that is a that is a great looking monster. Thank you, thank you. I love how the rake monster turned out, and there's multiple iterations of that monster in the film because the the idea of the rake is that it's like a pestilence where it infects us all you know it's basically negativity it's hatred it's mm. it's sickness and and if it gets to be strong enough within you like a cancer it can take you over and and it the rake actually comes out of you um so it's kind of like if you saw the company of wolves where the werewolf yes. like births itself out of the guy so good so, so good, good. Yes. so that's kind of what the rake is in a lot of ways and so there's this iteration of the rake that we call the female rake. Um, the main character, Ashley, played wonderfully by Sinead Grimes Beach, um, who was in Degrassi and 90210 and, and Scream 4. Um, 
she she sees herself like a, a, a version of herself that is beautiful and happy and, and radiant, almost, uh, you know, angelic. And she follows it. And because she's dealing with depression and, and anxiety and all these problems, because she thinks that the rake is in her. And you don't know if it is or if it's just a mental problem. And she follows this other version of her into the woods, trying to see if it's going to help her, you know, cure her problems with the rake. And it turns out to be the rake playing a joke, like not a joke on her, but playing, playing her for the fool. And it lures her into the woods to then go and kill everybody else in the house. And it turns into a female version of the monster. It took us seven hours to do the makeup on this actress with four four artists working on this girl. And then this poor girl, um, her name was Sam, amazing actress. And unfortunately, she's not really acting because she's got all this makeup on covering her face. But she's standing buck naked in the woods. It was April 3rd that we were shooting in 2015. And it was like, 10 degrees out. I shoot. Oh. And she was standing there buck naked with this makeup on that covered her eyes and her ears. And so all she could do was she had her mouth open, but that was it. And I, I really commended her for, for being incredibly scary looking and performing and not shaking. Cause this is what I would have looked like. And that's not scary, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Those um, and where can where is the the rake is currently streaming? Uh, am I correct on that? Legally streaming, obviously. Where's the where where can we stream the the rake if if anybody wants to see what you just described? So I mean, you can see it on Tubi. Um, that's probably the easiest way to find it. Tubi's got commercials though, and I to be honest, I haven't even watched it on Tubi, so I don't know where the commercial breaks interrupt the movie. They're pretty good about, they're pretty good about, it used to be really bad and they've gotten so much better. I've watched a bunch of movies on Tubi now and they're pretty good. Because otherwise it really doesn't do the movie justice if you're in the middle of a dialogue exchange and they literally cut away from it, you know, which they do like on YouTube with commercial breaks and stuff. Um, So it's on Tubi. I I think it's, it's on Amazon prime. I don't know if it's free on Amazon prime still, but it was for a long time. It might still be. Um, Fucking Amazon, man. (laughs) What? I said, fucking Amazon, man. With their, with, they changed everything. Amazon changed everything. Oh yeah. No, I know. I, I mean, I don't, I'll never see a dime from that movie anyway. Cause my asshole LA producers are, you know, screwing us. So, the joys of just you gotta you know and i'll tell you that's what that's like what i I, i've ultimately come to realize like you know at least in my own personal work like make stuff that i can try and pay for out of my own pocket and own everything just own the work and i'm fortunate i'm happy to say that so far i've never made something that i don't own i own it all whether i'm making money off of it or not whatever is coming in comes to me and that has i just keep hearing time and again it's just like we're at a point right now until something comes along that's better that makes more sense it's you should own your work you should just always own your work if you can you know something i wish more than to have had a family member or a friend a very close friend who was a lawyer that's that i wish nothing more in this industry because you know it, it's so expensive to have a lawyer on retainer and when you're uh, trying to get a movie for twenty thousand dollars, and a lawyer wants to charge you four hundred dollars an hour 
to make sense with you on stuff it's like how do you make a twenty thousand dollar feature you know my first feature was fifteen thousand dollars which included me buying a five thousand dollar canon xl2 at the time and you know that was a top of the line prosumer camera which was oh, i remember f yay i remember and, that one so you know it's it's just it's tough and and that's the thing you, you learn from it and and i'm very thankful that my my friends who are, are actively producing films right now um learned the lessons and now they're doing it and they're actually making financially successful films now and are being released on shutter and stuff like that and so it's like i'm very happy to see that 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 things now are different and so you know my fingers are crossed that when i can get my next film together um whether it's through bloody disgusting because there's that potential there or doing something independently that uh i know now at least that i have a support group that's going to help you know, ensure that we will retain control over it and, and at right. least be some financial gain. Um, right. Which, you know, you kind of need to. I mean, that's the whole point is that you create stuff and that you have a bunch, you've created enough that, that it's bringing in passive revenue that you're generating income from it so that you can keep doing it. And it's like, this is, at this independent level, it's just really hard to get to that place. It's not an easy thing to attain. It's it's, it's very difficult. And it's unfortunate because it's not difficult because, because of any reason other than just bad people. There are a lot of terrible people true. Out there that for some reason in their head, they think I'm distributing this. So I deserve a hundred percent, not 80%, not 70%, not even 90%. It's I deserve it all. And when I make my nut, then maybe I'll share a little with you. doesn't matter that you might've spent a year making this movie, that you might've spent all of your money making this movie, but I'm going to get taken care of first. And that's just the, I don't understand that mentality. And, you know, I'm just as selfish as the next guy, but at the end of the day, movies are not made by themselves. You know, there is a team of people right. that create a movie, get a film through post and, and distributed and marketed and, for somebody to think that they don't have to share any of the revenue off of a film with anybody else that worked on it along the way is, is absurd to me. You know, you, I'm, when we get off here, I'm going to, I have a group that you should check out. I'll tell you about it later, but you need, you should check it out. It's an interesting group and okay. yeah, I think you'll appreciate it. Um, so tell me about bloody bites and, how did this but that's the thing we keep burying the lead on people uh tell tell me about bloody bites for bloody disgusting and how it's sort of i guess it sort of evolved correct me if i'm wrong it evolved from world of death and just that whole rigmarole go ahead yeah so in 2020 um bloody tom and brad from bloody disgusting they came to me and said hey tony you know we've we've really been wanting to do something more with world of death. You know, it's such a great concept, but they they've admitted that they don't really actively promote their YouTube channel. They don't really do much with it. It's got a bunch of videos on it, but it, it's not really part of their, you know, their tree of, of stuff that gets attention. And there's so much with bloody disgusting. They have a podcast network and they have the website obviously. And, and there's just so much that they're doing that, that they don't have time to spread themselves out um, as much as they would like to. And so 
in October, I think it was, September, October of 2020, they were like, hey, Tony, you know, we just partnered with Cinedime, who is this huge media bigwig company um, like Comcast or Viacom or any of those companies. And they have tons of channels. You know, they own the Bob Ross channel and all these other channels. Nice. Um, and so they they basically said, look, bloody disgusting. We don't have a horror channel. We want to create a horror streaming channel, an AVOD channel, which is like a, a regular cable channel where it's 24-7 programmed streaming and there's commercial breaks and that's how they get their ad revenue. It's right. not subscription-based like Netflix or Shutter. Um, and we, so we're doing Bloody Disgusting TV. It's going to be on Roku. Um, and then they've gotten now onto, we're on Pluto, we're on Sling, uh, we're on Vizio and TCL Smart TVs, I believe. Um, so they're like, we, we're going to do Bloody Disgusting TV. And they said, we want, a, we want World of Death, but we want to create a new iteration of it. We want to turn it into something we're thinking the title Bloody Bites because it's bite-sized horror. So right. we want we want you to, to produce this with us. And um, it's going to be the new world of death. And this is going to be – world of death was basically anybody and anybody. What I loved about world of death was that I didn't say no to anyone. So if you were making – if you made a movie for $2 or if you made a movie for a million dollars – I was willing to showcase it because I wanted to give exposure to anybody because you never know. I always said you never know who's going to be the next John Carpenter. And to me, I love the idea. The youngest World of Death filmmaker was 13 years old. Wow. I love that because if I had had World of Death when I was 13, believe you me, I would have. And if I would have had cameras and shit, I mean, when I was 13, it was 1993. It was like a big ass camcorder. Fucking yeah, super. Remember Super Eight and oh. the the digital audio. Oh yeah, oh, man. Oh yeah. So, and that's why I shot my first stuff on, and it looks like shit, and I'll never show it to anybody. I don't even think I have copies anymore. But like, hard to digitize. I look at that thirteen year old, and I'm like, I'm so happy that we gave him an avenue to get his stuff out there, and and you know, so um, that's what World of Death was, and it was great. But we basically said with Bloody Bites, we want to feature the best horror sci-fi and thriller short films that are out there and so that's what we're doing and we are curating we're actively curating content from numerous film festivals that feature really great stuff like the nightmares film festival where you and i met in person for the first time great fest um, great fest yeah i work with jason tostevin there um we've been doing this now for i want to say four or five years we've been working with nightmares um and i watch all their short horror films and I basically reach out to Jason and say, please put me in touch with the, these filmmakers. And then we've acquired numerous films from them. We're working with Panic Fest. Um, I'm, I'm trying to work out with a couple of other uh, festivals right now as well. So it's really exciting. And, and not only do I get to check out great horror content, because I'm a big fan and love watching new horror movies and discovering other other great content that I've never heard of. But the again, the networking, meeting people like you, is what makes this all totally worthwhile because in the end in the end we all love filmmaking and we love horror and so it's like i could talk to you for days about those two things <laughs> we i think we could i think we could i really think we could um that's very exciting and congratulations truly and it's amazing how it's like a road that really began all the way back in 2013 and now it's like slowly wound its way 
in one form or another, it's like kind of like manifests itself. It just goes to show, you know, if you love something and if you're passionate about it, you just keep doing it. I heard, you know, speaking of punk, I heard this guy, Fat Mike um, from No Effects. Uh, he has a podcast and he had Lou Adler on. And if you don't know who Lou Adler is, people, I know Tony knows who Lou Adler is. He was the guy who produced Rocky Horror Picture Show. He directed Cheech and Chong up in smoke. I mean, the guys, the guys, a legend, the legendary dude. And they were talking and he was the, they were just talking. And uh, Fat Mike said something in, uh, along the effect of uh, just worry about making really good art. And if you can make really good art, then the money will come. Just focus on making something that's really, really, really good and enjoy doing it. And hopefully it will manifest itself into something more and i just i've loved that i love the idea of like i mean obviously you have to think about every filmmaker needs to think about marketing a multitude of marketing and, and whatnot uh, but i don't think that's what that means i think it just means like don't worry don't worry about that stuff worry about like you have to have something that's good before you have so anything else right you have to have something that's good so i just thought that was an interesting philosophy uh, it's it's a great philosophy because ultimately, you know, I, like I said at the beginning, I, I think tenacity is a big part of it. You know, if you continue with something, you're going to eventually hopefully make it. Um, but you have to be passionate, too. And if you're passionate, you're enjoying what you're doing. So you're never going to stop doing it. You know, like I said, I haven't directed a movie in five years and I miss directing movies. I, I really want to make another movie and I just haven't had time to. And it sucks because. That's all I want to do is make another movie. And do you have um, ideas? Oh, I got tons. Yeah, I, <laughs> I almost, I was, I was this close to making a feature um, in like January, and uh, I, I've got a script um, that was at the the Mile High Horror Film Festival, and um, and you know, it's it's called Six Below, and I'm really excited about it. It's it's a pretty. I kind of wrote it as a, a quarantine style film. Um, and so I'm really excited about the potential of it because it could be done fairly inexpensively and it's, you know, minimal locations, minimal cast, um, which is my advice to anybody who wants to start making movies is if you want to do that minimal cast, minimal locations, that'll save you a lot of money and a lot of time. Um, and then you can focus your money <laughs> on things that are important, which is making it look good. Like you and fat Mike said, um, excuse me. So. Yeah, I think, you know, I just, I think it's tenacity. I think it's, I think it's passion. And, and yes, I think quality plays a big part in it. And, and you can't expect, you know, when I made it to my partner, I'll die if I want to. I thought it was going to be the next Evil Dead. And we I, all think that. We all think that about when we make it. We, we think, oh, yeah, we're going to, we think about all our heroes. And then we go, yeah, we're going to make that banger. And it's going to be uh lauded and appreciated and then what happens is we are treated with our first dose of humility and if you get the humility and you go you go i doesn't matter i still love doing this i love who i am when i'm doing this i'm going to do it whether i'm successful or not that's the test that's the bridge you cross you know 100 yeah. well, and i just saw i saw a comment below somebody posted something about doing a biopic on the cramps that'd be yeah. awesome that would be awesome. It would yeah. be awesome. It's a great idea. I agree. That, that was a good great. comment, Jane. You know, like, like, cause like the green room was a great horror movie and I would love, I love the green room. 
yeah, I, I would love to see more um, more films like that 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 meld, you know, punk especially and horror. I think they're such great. Um, they both have a great dynamic to them that would work really well together. And so many people they they like like to mix metal and horror. You even look at movies like 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 Lords of Chaos, which I, I enjoyed that movie a lot, but it's a drama. It's not a horror movie. But everybody's almost it could almost be a horror movie. It's so close. It's just yeah. it's not there. But but that'd be like and, and it's a terrible thing to say, but that'd be like making a movie about Columbine, for example. You know, because Lords it's of true Chaos, crime. It's true crime, yeah. Lords of Chaos is true crime. It's about a guy who murdered his bandmates or whatever. And and it's like, you know, that that move that movie and that story, that real life story is terrifying. So yeah. it is but it's not horror because it's basically a drama about a, a mentally sick guy. And uh, I feel the same way about true crime, dude. I can't, I was just having this conversation. I'm very, uh, I'm very apprehensive about true crime for the, every reason that you just said, I think it can be done. It has to be done and it has to be done tastefully. It has to be done with respect to what happened to real people. And so often, especially with like Manson stuff, you know, um, it, it's not it's not treated with the respect that it deserves. And it's you know, it can be upsetting, you know, to be really I'm upsetting. pretty excited. I, I do. I really enjoy true crime. I love listening to uh, last podcast on the left. Um, you know, those do guys, they, they do. They do a true crime thing, too. Well, no, but but their podcast, most of their episodes are either serial killers or cults or, or okay. supernatural stuff, you know, Um so I, I enjoy that a lot, and I, you know, I grew up reading books on true crime and all that shit. But um, I've got a couple of filmmaker friends through World of Death that just hit me up the other day because they've got an Indiegogo campaign. If anybody who's listening is interested in checking this out, send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. I'm on Instagram as Scotchworthy, and I'm on Facebook as Tony. Walsh. All the links are in the description. Um, hit me up because these guys have an Indiegogo campaign. They're partnering with the guy who hosts the the podcast called Let's Not Meet, which is really cool. I've listened to a couple episodes. So when they told me this, I was like, dude, I love that podcast. He does like it, it's like they're they're like true stories of of not necessarily true crime. I maybe it is true. Crime. I saw you post about this. I I went. I saw the I saw the trailer for their for what they want to do looks first of all their presentation their their pitch trailer was amazing it looks very interesting i'm stoked about it i think because they want to turn it into a series because right now it's just an audio podcast they want to but, do a pilot they they have interest yeah they they well I, I told them i was like look like i'm i want to talk to blade disgusting about about this because this is a great idea for original content in my opinion Bloody Disgusting is already doing, you know, they've got the Boo Crew, which is a pretty popular podcast, and they turn that into a video podcast that we program on Bloody Disgusting TV. And and it's cool because they interview famous people. You know, they've had David Arquette and Danny Trejo and cool. um, uh, Larry Fessenden and Barbara Crampton. Um, they've had, uh, you know, all sorts of people on there. Micah Monroe. Um, so, you know, Gavin Rossdale was on there, which was interesting because nice. I was I was like, why would they have Gavin Rossdale on there? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, he was in Constantine, so that makes sense. Oh. But they talked horror with him, and it was pretty cool. And I'm like, dude still looks fucking great. I'm not, you know, I'm not even attracted to men, but, like, this guy looks freaking amazing, and he's, like, 60 years old. I mean, Bush was out when I was in, like, junior high, you know. He's got Paul um, Rudd, yeah. <laughs> 
got Paul Rudd. My wife loves Paul Rudd so much. Everybody loves Paul Rudd. <laughs> I love Paul Rudd. What can I say? Who doesn't? But uh, yeah, so I thought that was really cool. I'm like, you guys, you know, that'd be awesome if, if we could get involved in helping them get a pilot or two made. Um, you know, because so basically getting back to what we were talking about in 2021, after we had Blade Disgusting TV running for a year, it was doing so well. And Cynodyne was so happy with their partnership with Bloody Disgusting that they offered to purchase bloodydisgusting.com from Brad and Tom. And so wow. in October of 2021, they bought Bloody Disgusting. And so we all became Cynodyne employees. And um, the great thing about that is that Cynodyne being this humongous company with tons of money behind it, they're like, not only do we want to start producing original content, but we're going to go one step further and we're going to give you a bigger avenue to bring your, your, your content out to. And they bought Screenbox and are rebranding Screenbox with Bloody Disgusting's name. And including on. my film. If you guys want to watch Romeo's Distress, you can do so on Screenbox. It's, uh, Screenbox is a really cool uh, app and they've got a lot of quality films. And you get one month for free right now. So there you, you go. Sign up and get them. You know, there you go. It doesn't hurt to go on there and take a look. There's some cool new stuff on there. Um, there, uh, I don't know when it releases. I don't think it comes out until August. So you might want to wait a couple weeks just to see this. But I'm super stoked because they got the uh, the rights to um, the Pennywise documentary, the story of it, the 1990. Oh, I have not seen that yet, dude. I'm so excited to check out that documentary. Um, so pet and cemetery got a- one was good. You see the pet cemetery one. We, I program it on Blade Discussing TV. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Um, uh, I don't remember the name, but the, the, the better. Oh, uh, uh, better off dead. No. Uh, oh, man. It's going to bother me. No. Um, Hold on a second. I, yeah. I don't, I don't remember either. Pet but cemetery, yes, it's Pet Cemetery documentary. Now it's not telling me. Pet Cemetery documentary. Uh, it's just Gates of Heaven came up. I guess that's a actual documentary about um, about a pet cemetery. So that didn't work. <laughs> I, is, is it like un, undead and untold or something like that? The story yes. of pet cemetery. You're right. Uh, it's unearthed. I just found it. It's from 2015. It's unearthed and untold: the path to pet cemetery. There you go. Yeah, and it's a great documentary. You know? Yeah. Um, for sure. So that, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about that one. Cause I, I, the new, the, the second new one was stupid, but the first new one, I really liked it a lot because it was rated R. It's like Stephen King movies should not be TV miniseries where they, they can't show blood or guts or anything. It is a terrifying book. And I love how good of a book it is. Did you, so you talk about the remake that you, you like the remake? I like the first remake. Yeah, I like the first of the two new movies. The first one's good. I thought it was cool. Um, well, oh, you're kid. talking about it. I thought you were talking about Pet Cemetery. I'm going. They didn't make a a, a remake of no. Pet Cemetery, the sequel. No, okay. no, 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 no. The new it. I. I agree. I first one was Cemetery. good. Second one. Yeah. No, I agree. And but but the original 1990 it miniseries is so good. It's one of the first color horror films I was able to watch because that came out when I was 10 years old. And I remember I was at my buddy Mitch's house 
and we rented it. He'd already seen it, but he, he was like, yeah, we'll rent it. And we, re- we rented that and Splatterhouse. I think he was, I think he had Splatterhouse. I don't remember if it was just the Turbo Graphics or if he had that on his Genesis. But we wow. played Turbo, we played Splatterhouse, if you remember that video game. And we, we watched the It miniseries. So we were up real late that night. Kinder <laughs> Trauma. That's Kinder Trauma, but in the best way. The best weren't, the, weren't those the days just renting a VHS and playing video games and just friggin' that's a Friday night. That was the, those were or Saturday night or whatever. That was the best. I was I was recanting this story a couple weeks ago on a podcast where um my my buddy who was interviewing me was we were talking about something and just about video stores and stuff. Cause yeah, kids nowadays they just don't get it and they don't care. And I get that they're a different generation. They have their, their iPads and stuff, but nothing was better than going to the video store. And that's where I got my love for horror because my dad would take me there. We'd always go to the horror section cause he's a big horror fan. And nice. then the, at the, the front counter, they had the return of the living dead poster right on the front of the counter underneath the cashier, the cash register. And I was just me being five years old. I'm like looking at this freaking thing face on. And I just, absolutely loved it but i was telling this story where i was in boy scouts and we one month a year in the winter we would do an electronic camping trip where we would rent a cabin and you know every group of kids every patrol as they call them would have like a a space in the cabin and you could bring whatever electronics you wanted and so back then you still had the big tube tvs you didn't have laptops or anything like that so it was like you could rent a, like a 19-inch television from the video store. You could rent a VCR from the video right. store. Right. You have to rent the VCR. Yeah. Yes. Rent the VCR for the weekend. And then they had the one video store by me, Randall Video, had five for five for five, where you could get five of the older catalog movies for $5 for five nights. So I, my buddies put me in charge, and they probably regret it because Heaven. I rented my favorite movies that I'd never seen, but I was like, I was like, I was 13 and I was like, I'm going to rent the horror movies that my mom's never let me rent at the video store. So I got silver bullet, the lost boys, sleepaway camp Two, graveyard shift and maximum overdrive. Wow. (laughs) I'd never seen any of them. So that for me was like the weekend from heaven, you know, my buddies, they, they, I'm sure they enjoyed them all. You know, I mean, Sleepaway Camp 2, what what heterosexual male doesn't like Sleepaway Camp 2, you know? Um, but, and not to mention the great death scenes in that movie. And But, like... Bruce Springsteen's what? sister. What? That's Bruce Springsteen's sister. Yeah, Pamela Springsteen. I know. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. I know. She does such a good job, too. I, I love the second and third um, Sleepaway Camp movies. They're so much fun. But yeah, so that was that was just fun, and and I love thinking back to that because I just think about like, imagine watching those five movies. I don't really like Maximum Overdrive, but think about having never seen Lost Boys, Silver Bullet, and and Sleepaway Camp Two especially. But then I love Graveyard Shift. That is such. Oh, a cool that's movie. an underrated Stephen King classic, man. Nobody talks about Graveyard Shift enough. They just don't. Dude, I was so. It was a short, right? It was a short story that that got adapted. That was from uh, Dreamcasts or Dreamscapes, and it was a night shift. Oh, it was in Night Shift, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was in Night Shift. Um, what, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite Stephen King short story? Ooh, 
Um, I'm going to say the raft or the mist just That's because I haven't, just because I haven't read his shorts in forever. I've read night shift skeleton crew and nightmares on dreamscapes. Um, those, I mean, those are the three you want. I mean, they're the new ones are like, he has some new, more modern ones that came out in the last 20 years, but the, that's that's the trilogy. And I have always been a ginormous fan of Survivor type is one of my absolute favorite stories. I don't which remember. They I remember the. the, the they did it for the Creep Show series on Shudder. They did an animated oh, okay. version of it. And it was not, the animation was not good, but that story is terrifying. It's the dude, he's stranded on the rock and he is heroin. And he's uh, he's a doctor, he's a surgeon, and he has no food, and um, he just gets stoned on heroin and eats his legs, and it's just oh, fucked up. Jesus. yeah, yeah, That's terrible. That's uh, it's it's like like if I could, if I could, and I mean it's very easy to make a Stephen King story because you just need to, it's a dollar, just do the dollar baby program. Um, but if I could make, if I had to make a Stephen King short. I don't think you'd have to put a gun to my head. I think I would just do it because I'd like to do it. It would be survivor type. Just freaking, sure. freaking really great. I, I don't think that the graveyard shift short was anything like the movie. Yeah, it's super I, different. Super yeah, different. They, they ran with that, but um, a lot of creative freedom in that one. Um, but I, I just, I really loved that movie. It's got all the elements that make a monster movie great. And Brad Dorif is in it and is awesome. Yes. He's awesome in it. And it's such a good location. Um, I just, I absolutely love that movie. And I was, one of the most disappointing moments of my filmmaking career was in 2010, I did a short film called A Chance in Hell, which is a World War II Nazi zombie movie. We did this before Frankenstein's Army and Overlord and Red Snow. <laughs> What's that? And, and well, Dead Snow had come out, but Dead Snow was a different type. This actually took place in World War II. It was a bunch of American soldiers. It's basically Overlord, where American soldiers stumble upon this secret Nazi facility where they're oh, experiencing. Great movie. Out. Yeah. And and so um, we, we did this short film back in 2010, and it got a lot of attention. And we got a, um, a sales agency in L.A. to pick it up, and they took it to Cannes. They raised a bunch of mo money for minimum guarantees for different distribution to territories across the world. Wow. And they were trying to turn it into a big, like, $3 million feature. And so my buddy Johnny and I, who wrote the film together, we wrote a feature-length script. We we were like, this is what we're going to do. And these producers, these L.A. Um, sales agents, they were friends with Ralph Singleton, who produced Pet Cemetery, produced and directed Graveyard Shift. He did Murder at 1600. He did uh, Clear and Present Danger with Harrison Ford. And they got him to executive produce this movie. So I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to make a feature-length movie with Ralph Singleton. This is amazing. And then it never got the money and it never happened. But I was like so excited, so excited to do that because I was like, dude, I love that cemetery and graveyard shift. By the way, do you know that technically Overlord is a prequel to Saving Private Ryan if you think about it? Technically. Really? Well... Overlord takes place the day before D-Day and Saving Private Ryan begins on D-Day and the two movies, technically one happens before the other one. And I mean, it technically could be a prequel to Saving Private Ryan if you wanted it to be. 
So in my mind, it's a prequel to Saving Private Ryan, just because. I'm bummed because I love Overlord and I love Frankenstein's Army. I think they're both really, really good films. I really enjoy them both. But I, I'm so bummed because they are basically a chance in hell. If I had done a feature-length version of it, that's what it would have been. And it just it, it upsets me because it's like somebody who had, a, a, had connections and money took our idea and did it. And I'm not saying they stole our idea because the collective subconscious is insane, in, especially in independent horror. But like I saw what they did and I'm like, well, there you go. You guys did what? And Johnny and I went and saw Overlord together and we're like, yep, this is exactly what we were going to do. Damn it. Damn you, Michael Bay, for making this Fucking movie. happens, man. I mean, and, and you know, I understand that it's like, seeing an ex-girlfriend you don't want to see an ex-girlfriend or something like that kind of thing like i like i'm like it's cool i'm glad this idea is like exists but it was mine and i was going to do something with it i've i had the same thing happen to me i had a i had an idea uh that came out what was that werewolf movie where the people think that they're werewolves or whatever i I had that fucking idea man uh 10 years prior it was my first featuring screenplay I, I forgot what it was called. It just came out recently and it was terrible apparently, but I had this really, my idea was, uh, it, it was, I had this crazy idea and it was just interesting. I was like, wow, like, you know, I mean, obviously they didn't get the idea from me, but it's just amazing how that happens. People, people think, people think in that kind of way, people think similarly, you know. The weird thing to me about it is, is that it, it is very much so like a hive mindset where like if 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 somebody if I had an idea and someone else had an idea 10 years at a different time, that's one thing. But I think it's so weird when multiple films are made at the same time, like like Deep like, Impact and Armageddon. Yeah, exactly. Deep Impact and Armageddon, Volcano and Dante's Peak. Yeah. You know, um, like I, I think it's so weird when that happens. That's because- petty. That's just like fuck you, petty. That kind of thing. That they're doing it on purpose. All, it happens all the damn time. I yeah. I had this idea that I was working on after we shot the rake. The next film I wanted to do was I'm not even going to talk about it because I yeah, don't. <laughs> well, I don't want to say the name or anything. But I was like, this is the idea I want to do. I started talking to people about it. I was really excited. I was going to get Sid Haig to be in the opening of it as the opening character and. And I was like ready to go and get the script written. And I had the beginning of it done and was all excited. And then the void came out and I love the void, but the void was my fucking idea only in a hospital instead of in a house, essentially. And I'm like, motherfucker, you know, like, what are you going to do? You know, nothing you can do. You just move on. You just move on to the next thing. We're going to take a very quick commercial break for our sponsor, uh, the From Us channel is powered by RiotStickers.com. We love Riot Stickers. We got some cool stuff coming up in the future. Uh, I don't have any of my stickers or my banner or anything behind me because I'm in a satellite location. So I'm going to play the 60-second video for RiotStickers.com starting right now. Hi, I'm a guy from RiotStickers.com, the merch company known for being the bomb. Do you hate going to work? But like getting paid? Do you hate snow? But want to make sweet, sweet love to a snowman? That was unexpected. All right, what about this? 
Well, shit, that was the wrong video, goddammit. Let me do that again. jake really do their theme song wait how did you know that what do you mean how do I, I love less than jake wait but did i say something about less than jake or you just no i heard the song and i know the dude's voice i dude i saw That's... less than jake and newfound glory in 2000 i think yeah that was an awesome show it was in a fucking tiny little <laughs> place dude yeah the answer is yes that's the guy from less than jake that's, <laughs> that's fucking awesome I um Riot Stickers is uh Sharpie Riot. He's uh he he has a company called Riotstickers.com and Sharpie's great. They're a great company, super independent. Um we, we love them and they sponsor the whole channel and we just really appreciate all their support and um and yeah, they have that really cool theme song. So, Dude, you know. Give them your shout out. Say, "Hey man, you you got an awesome theme song. Tony thinks it's great." That's I bad. will I will let him know. Um, let me ask you this as we're winding down here. Uh, t- let's talk. I want to talk a little bit about anthology horror because you seem like you've made an anthology. You also, you know, with the whole world of death and the bloody bites thing. And obviously you love creep show. So creep besides creep show, um, what are three anthology recommendations that you want to give the audience oh god jeff you hit me up dude I need- <laughs> I, by the way i am an anthology nut i oh. it is my mission to see every anthology i have watched not i haven't watched them all but i watch like i watch them like candy man i especially like especially if they're from the 80s and the Don't 90s times, by the way sorry you said i watch them like candy man and I was like, yeah. I'll say that four more times. <laughs> I, won't. I won't. Um, I won't. my brain's not as good as it used to be in terms of memory. I used to be so good at like cataloging all the movies in my head and quotes and shit. I'm just so old. Um, but it's tough because Creep Show and Creep Show Two are are easily my favorites. I mean, they're so good. I don't love every single short for the longest time. Creepshow is the first color horror film I ever saw. I think I was four when I saw it. And I didn't even see the first two shorts because I saw it at my dad's friend's house. The parents were out having dinner and partying and us kids were hanging out at home. And the kids of my dad's friend were like, here, let's watch this. And they pulled the tape off that was taped off TV and it only had the last three movies. So I never saw the Jordy, the Jordy Verrill. And I never oh, saw well, that's a good one. Yeah. 
what's the Father's Day? And I never saw Father's Day. Father's for the Day. Um, but okay, so if we've got to go outside the creep show yes. realm. Not allowed to say creep show. Okay. Uh, Mortuary Collection was awesome on Shutter. Really, really awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. I love that one. Uh, the 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 dude who gets pregnant was a fucking banger. Dude, that it, was a good oh, one. it's all so good. I mean, like, yeah. The, again, I don't remember all the details, but I remember like the one with the girl in the bathroom, and yeah, and it's just it, Jeff, there's so uh, many cool. Clancy stories. Brown. Clancy yeah. Brown was great in that. Yeah. Very very well constructed anthology film um so that one's really great um i honestly like old school ones i really love tales from the dark side i thought the mummy one with christian slater was you was mean there. creep show three is that really was that supposed to be creep show three i there is an actual creep show three thanks to richard rubenstein but in my opinion um oh crap did i freeze or did Tony freeze? I'm, no, you're there. I'm here. Okay, cool. Um, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, is technically Creepshow 3 because it has all of the same cast that, I mean, all the same cast and crew that worked on Creepshow and Creepshow 2. That was Laurel Entertainment. That was the partnership between George Romero and, and Richard Rubenstein. Sure. And they it was directed by John Harrison, who uh, used to shoot, you know, who shot, I think he shot Creepshow as well. So it has all of the pedigree, even though it goes under Tales from the Dark Side, which was George Romero's anthology series on TV. Um, so it's always my opinion. Uh, I think it's not just my opinion. It's like a thing that Tales from the, uh, that Tales from the Dark Side is actually the real Creepshow 3. At least that's how we see it, so. My grandma liked horror, and so one night I spent the night at her house, and we watched an episode of Tales from the Dark Side, and it was the one that Savini directed, where there's like the girl renting the room. Um, she's renting the room. I don't know uh, if I saw that one for for college, and there's the little closet with the short little closet door, and the little creature comes out of it and kills her. Super I don't cool. Think I saw that one. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's I mean it's a great little again monster type thing, but. Uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie was good. You know, the mummy one with 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 Christian Slater. And I oh, think good. that was um what's her face, the redhead. Um, Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore was in it. Um and then the Steve Catholic, Buscemi. What's that? Steve Buscemi. And Steve Buscemi. Exactly. I haven't seen that movie in forever. Um Debbie Harry as the witch with the oh, kid. So great. George Lawrence. That was filmed um, right over there. That was filmed all in Westchester. Really? Yeah, right where I'm from. Yep, That's right bad. in my backyard. Dude, Pretty cool. Gabby Harry was so fucking awesome in that. Great. Um, Matthew and then Lawrence third, plays the kid. Yeah, yeah, and and then whoa, and then the the um the third one with with Ray Don Chong and uh, and uh, the the dad from De uh, from uh, from Dexter. Yeah, yeah, Dexter. yeah. That is so terrifying. It's so terrifying to think that. The, like when that happens at the end, I'm just like, dude, dude, you just fucked yourself so bad. You should have just kept it a secret, you know? Uh, quick trivia fact about that one. That is actually a Japanese ghost story, folk story 
that was in a Japanese horror anthology called Quaden that I'm sure you've seen the Criterion cover for a bunch of times. It's like three hours long. They, it's the same exact story. Just, yeah, it's really cool. You should check that out. if you. I have it on DVD, but I've never seen it. Cra crack it open when you got three hours to kill. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. First, I got to crack open a box to pull my DVD player out. No, I'm kidding. I, I have a VHS and a DVD player because I'm a dork like that, but. Um, I'm still unpacking. We've only been living in this house for like two months, so I got to get Yeah, all you just said, so you've been renovating, you renovated this house or you built this house? Tell me what so the deal is with that. We bought a hundred year old bungalow, um, wow. and we've been renovating it for two years. We bought it in, excuse me, in May of 2020. We moved in May of 2022. It has been wow. a this process to say the least. Um, I don't recommend buying an old house to anybody because it's, it's very time consuming. Um, but it's amazing. The house now is so cool and there's so much great character to it. You know, my wife wanted what yeah, I character. It. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's got lots of nooks and crannies and cool shit. So I love it. I absolutely love it. The neighborhood's great, but we still have a lot of work to do. And it's basically been like a two year movie production. So think of how stressful that is. Uh, it's just, it just sounds like a lot of production design and set design. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, now you you're are you did you you're still in Chicago or Chicagoland area or did you move out of Chicago? No, it's the suburbs. I've I've never lived in downtown proper. Um, I I feel like I can't say I'm from Chicago if I don't do that because what what is what where do you um how far out would you without having to reveal your location how far out would you say you are from chicago on on a good day 35 minutes downtown i would consider know? that i would consider that a chicago chicago i'm like that's exactly how far away i live from new york city i'm in westchester oh. we are about 35 minutes away from we sit right on top of the the bronx okay so if that gives you an, an idea um, there are some people, and I remember when I used to live in Chicago and I used to live downtown Chicago, you, you'd have some people that say I'm from Chicago, but then they're like 90 minutes out and it's just kind of like, come on, you, like, you know, it's, but 35 minutes, I, you, I think it's cool to say, that's fine to say Chicago. Yeah. yeah I think the Chicago suburbs, it's okay. But like, I remember when we, uh, when I went to Savini school, the first day we were there during orientation, we were all like kind of standing around and. Somebody like asked me where I was from. I said Chicago, and or no, was, this guy was wearing a Cubs hat, and I was like, "Oh, you know, are you from Chicago?" And he's like, "Yeah, I am." And I'm like, "Oh, that's cool. Like, I'm from Chicago too." And he's like, "Oh, that's cool. Like, what part?" And I said, "I'm like, I'm from St. Charles." And he's like, "Well, that's not Chicago." And I think he was from like even further west than that. And I was, but he lived downtown prior to moving to. to it's such a state, dude. It's such a thing, and it's such like it's so ridiculous. But um, it's funny, you, you you nailed it in the sense of like, you know, when you're outside of Chicago and it's semantics, like if you're in New York, if you're in Arizona, if you're somewhere outside and someone asks you where you're from, are you going to say like, you know, Shamsburg? Are you going to say fucking Chicago? No one knows where Shamsburg is. Everybody knows where Chicago is. You just say Chicago or Chicago land. Everybody knows what that means. It doesn't. I don't, I don't understand. It's, you know what it just, it's, it's just a snobbish mentality 
of, you know, there's a certain level. Once you get, once you start traveling an hour or something, I feel like I'm like, oh, come on. Like, it's not really Chicago, but like, if you're in the burbs of Chicago and like you were yeah. commuting distance, that's Chicago, man. It's all Chicago. So do people in like Montana say I'm from Montana or do they say like, I'm from Butte or I'm from, you know, Helena. You know, like, I don't know. But anyway, no, it's a, it's a weird cause, cause the, cause it's like, what are you going to say? What makes more sense? I'm from Montana. Like everybody gets that. If you say Bew, everybody's like, oh, cool. Where is Bew? Is that you it? Know? Is it Butte or Bew? Well, isn't it? It kind of looks like butt, right? Because it's B-U-T-T-E. That's so funny. I was I was joking with my wife the other day because there's a judge, a guy, a lawyer who's running for judge in Cook County here. And his name is B-U-T-T-I-T-T-A. And I'm like, how many times do you think this guy was was like butt eater? How many times do you think people said that to him? Butt eater. I'm like, man, that's a terrible last name. I came across I came across someone very recently with the last name uh, Butterfass. Butter, F A S S. I'm not kidding. And it was it was magnificent. I just was like, I was in love with this last name. I was like, what a like, what an incredible last name butterfass and it's like you just can't i can't even wrap my mind around butterfass and that's a real last name and combine your names so it's butter from ass yeah there you go butter from ass sure sure no, I've, I've heard i have heard from from us we get we have pl uh, plenty plenty from oh, yeah. ass from t dumpty my my last name is wash wash your hands wash your car wash your clothes you don't know how many people say Walsh to me. I, I got to tell you something. I had to stop myself from saying Walsh. I so want to say Walsh. It's, it's so naturally. Walsh doesn't come natural. You yeah. want to say Walsh when you see your last name. Well, and when I lived in Pittsburgh, it was Warsh. <laughs> Tony Warsh. So. Wait, so how long, how long in total were you in Pittsburgh? Two years, um, just under two years. I moved there in October of 04, and it's a 16-month program wow. with the school, four semesters of four months each. Um, and uh, and so I started shooting It's My Party in October of twenty of 2005. So I was in the middle of my third semester. I totally screwed myself out of my animatronics classes because I didn't pay any attention, and all I did was work on my movie instead. And, um, and then I stayed after I graduated, which was in February of 2006 and finished shooting the movie for like two months after I graduated and moved back home, uh, in April of 2006, back to Chicago because I spent my life savings making the movie. So I moved back in with my mom and was, you know, basically working, bartending and, and editing the movie. And then I released the movie in 2007, um, won a bunch of awards, which made me really proud and, and told me, okay, I guess I lights I, the fire lights, the fire, dude, hundred percent. It was like, I won best picture, best feature at the, um, full moon horror film festival, which was in little rock, Arkansas. It go. was Charles bands film festival. Right, right, right. He's a douche. Cause he made a lot of empty promises. No problem admitting that. Cause he's a douche, but one of the I, judges, Stuart, I've heard a lot about Charles band a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it sucked because they were going to distribute it to my party through full moon, 
which I was like, dude, this is amazing. I fucking, I love, I love Lurking Fear. I love Puppet Master. Like, this is so cool. Castle Freak, you know? Yep, Castle Freak. Right? So I'm like, dude, full moon, this is great. And then, and, and the best thing about it was one of the judges was Stuart Gordon. So I was like, Stuart Gordon watched my movie. How cool is that? Right. That's, that's like, that's like heaven for me. That's my heaven. Like literally. I know. I I was, I was so, I was so stoked about that. And, um, and so the distribution deal never happened. Like I said, Charles band never did any of the prizes or anything. So it's like, yeah, you win best feature, but I'm not going to honor any of the awards I said I would give you if you win best feature. Um, But yeah, did that 2010. We did a chance in hell 2012. We shot, High on the Hog, which was awesome. Got to work with Sid Haig. Um, what was it like working with Sid Haig? How was that? That must have been interesting, man. Anybody who's ever seen an interview of me has heard me talk about Sid. It was it was a dream come true. I I took the job of directing that movie because he was in it, and that's the only reason I took it because I wanted – well, two reasons. I wanted to direct another movie, and I was getting paid to do it. Not yeah. a lot. I got paid, and that was a big thing for me. And because mm-hmm. it was Sid Haig, and I was really excited about directing Sid. Um, and he is, he was just such an amazing and an awesome dude. Like he, he is the personality that you would think he would be because even though he's a murderer in like the devil's rejects and stuff, he's still funny and he's just outgoing. And, and he was, he was such a, a wonderful person and a good friend and the respect that he showed me as his director and the friendship that we developed from working on that movie and being in the trenches together on that film, because it was not easy making that movie um, was, was just, it it was really tremendous. And one of the best experiences I've ever had, because I'll always tell the story where um, one day we had a really tough shoot. And after the shoot was over with, I went up to him and like, Hey Sid, and he was changing. He wears these overalls in the movie. Um, and he was changing out of them. He always used to just he'd take them off in the middle of, of like a field. So there'd be all the crew there. And he's just <laughs> these whitey tighties just fucking changing out of his un- overalls. And I walked up to him as he's changing out of his overalls, standing there in his underwear. I'm like, Sid. He's like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, I'm like, you want to go get a beer after this? And he's like, fuck yeah. And so him and I went and we grabbed a couple of drinks together. We were drinking Bush Light out of a can in this seedy little bar in Galena, Illinois. And, um, and just talked about everything. We talked about his 50 years of being in the business. We talked about working with, you know, um, uh, why can't I fucking geez, Roger Corman. You know, we talked about, you know, just spider baby. Yeah. Spider baby. We talked about, you know, galaxy of terror, um, galaxy of terror. Holy shit. Right. Yeah. That was the Corman movie. Right, right, right. We talked about Galaxy of Terror, um, you know, just just so much stuff, you know. We and, and it was such a wonderful night. And at the end of the night, he bought me a twelve pack of Bush Light and told me to go back and hit on the girls <laughs> who was recently single. So um, it was it was a lot of fun. And then after that, the next day, I basically I was frustrated because I felt like we were making two different movies with it. Um, the script was very dirty grindhouse, um, very gritty, which is good. That's what it's meant to be as a grindhouse film. But right. the way the characters were, were taking the, the way the actors were taking the characters and the way I was, I was kind of directing it and the way that a lot of the dialogue was written when it wasn't being exploitative and grindhouse and gritty, it was 
very dramatic. And Sid and all the other actors were really playing upon the family dynamic and everything of, of these people that live together and run this farm and grow the weed. That's what the movie's about. Um, and didn't so, it have, wasn't there another name? It didn't used to be high on the hog. No, no, it, it was always high on the hog, but it, it had, it was, it stars Sid Haig, um, Joe Estevez and the late great Robert Zadar as well. Maniac cop. Right. Maniac cop. Who was an amazing human being too. He, he was a really nice guy too. Um, great to work with. Um, and so, yeah, so we basically, we went out and had drinks on like the ninth day of shooting. And, uh, and that night I was frustrated and I told Sid, I'm like, I feel like we're making two different movies here. We've got the Grindhouse movie on one hand and then the other hand, we've got this crime drama. I'm like, I don't know what to do because it's going to feel disjointed when we put it together. And he said, well, Tony, you know, I think you should do what you think you need to do as the director. Talk to the producer and, and see if you can do what you need to do to make it different or better or, you know, congruent. And so the next day I drove for three hours to pick up a generator and we were doing this big barbecue party scene with like a hundred extras and stuff. Oh boy. Right <laughs> on stage. And we went, got this generator, drove back the three hours. So I was in the car for six hours total, rewrote half, you know, not rewrote half the script. I don't want to say I rewrote half the script, but came up with additional scenes and different things and got rid of some stuff that wasn't necessary and didn't make any sense and didn't add to the film. And the producer said, do it. If you can make this movie, make it. And because he wasn't there, and I got back, I talked to Sid. Sid said, let's do it. We'll go over. We went and talked to all the rest of the cast. And Sid said, Tony's got this idea. I support Tony's idea. I hope that you do too. And it was like having him support he me. Was, he, he was in your corner. He was in Dude, your corner. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, I really miss him. I really, really fucking miss him. You know, we used to hang out at the conventions all the time. And I just, I just miss the guy. And I'll, I'll never stop saying that. Um, you know, his birthday and my birthday are both in July. So they're coming up here. And he used to, he'd call me and leave me voicemails. He'd call me be like, hey, you old fart, happy birthday. And I just, I wish I still had that saved because. I was just I was literally going to ask you, I hope you save them. Did you get them saved? Friggin. Um, I dropped their phone and it broke and uh, don't have it anymore. It's a bummer because it was fun. So, now. You've spent, I mean, you have spent, I, I remember I saw, I once bumped into you and Dominique. Oh no, you weren't there, but Dominique was there who I went to school with. That's how I know Dom. Dom and I went to Columbia together. We had classes together. I didn't know yeah. that. Oh yeah. Dom and I go way back. I mean, I, I've known Dom since 2006. Wow. Um, and he was now now I remember what happened. He you were not there, but he was there representing your booth. Whoa, and man. so you do the whole you and you know, I know Mike Lombardo. I don't know if you know Mike Lombardo. He did I'm dreaming of White Doomsday. Yeah. Like all you guys, you guys all do the the convention circuit. It's something that I'm not super familiar with. Um, what is it? What what are your favorite things about doing that? Like what well, obviously you get to meet people. Do you um do you see it as like a in this day and age as like one of like a really strong way of of just like doing like homegrown distribution? No, I, I don't see it as, as a good way of doing homegrown distribution unless you made a, a five thousand dollar horror movie because 
it costs so much money to make a movie, to put a movie on physical media, and then you go there. My buddy Adam Michaels has Adam's Art Box, and he does this amazing artwork. And he'll go to these conventions. He rents two tables for whatever that is, seven hundred bucks or something like that. Wow, seven hundred bucks to rent a table? Yeah, for two tables. So you got like twelve feet. So and he'll set up this whole huge thing with walls with all of his artwork and stuff and and he sells tons of stuff and he makes a lot of money doing it and he's very successful and i'm very proud of him because i've seen how he's grown over the last five years with that but i'll go and i'll sell maybe maybe 30 or 40 copies of a movie on blu-ray or dvd or whatever and so it's like i'll pay for my trip i'll pay for the hotel I'll pay for my booth if I'm paying for it. Right, you're breaking even. You're not. You're not making profit. I might make two or three. Maybe. Maybe I'll make a thousand bucks in the weekend, which is a great weekend for me. Versus other people who are selling T-shirts or something like you know these guys who sell these T-shirts, they're making like maybe ten grand. Maybe they're not. I don't know because I don't ask wow. them. Stuff. But like, they're horror fans go to conventions. And it's great because I love running into my to my friends. I love seeing people like Dominic. That's how I know Dominic is from the convention circuit. Um, so it's like I love that. I went to uh, Days of the Dead a uh, month or so ago, and I haven't been to one in two years since pre-COVID. And I ran into so many friends that I hadn't seen in two years because of that, that that's why I do it. And to mm-hmm. talk horror. Well, you talk all day with horror fans and so you can sit and you can talk about your stuff and then you can tangent that into other stuff and it's all shit that we enjoy mutually so i love that i love looking around and buying shirts and other stuff i don't have room on my walls for artwork and that type of shit but i i collect vinyl so if there's people selling records or i like to support other independent horror filmmakers so if there's somebody selling a movie you know sometimes i'll pick that up as well and so, yeah. So, you know, it's like, to me, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's bad to do it because that's how I think I've garnered the, the fan base that I have. It's not a big one, but I do have a handful of very dedicated Scotsworthy fans and I love them to fucking death. I absolutely love them because they come up to me every convention and say, hello, how's it going? They'll come back around and talk to me again they'll buy everything that I have. And if it's something new, even if it's a movie they already own, but it's a new edition of it with a different cover, they'll buy that too. So that that's what has given me, it was what originally gave me the opportunity to build that, that very tight knit, um, you know, uh, the veins to, to my fan base. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. I mean, I'm eternally grateful. I wish I wish conventions were a little different. I don't like the fact that they're like conventions now are all about the autographs and stuff. So it's like, you've mm. got people like Robert Anglin, which look good for you, man. You can charge a hundred dollars for your signature. Good for you. A hundred dollars now for an autograph, hundred dollars, hundred dollars for an autograph. But the problem is, is that these guys, if they're in a bad mood, like John, John Cusack, Love him in every movie. Fucking loved him since Better Off Dead. <laughs> Say anything. Love Better Off Dead. Serendipity. I'll admit freely that I love Serendipity. Probably because I love Kate Beckinsale. But there you go. That, right? But he was at the one that I was in pre-COVID. I was at Atlanta's Days of the Dead in 2020, February 2020. And John Cusack, Richard Dreyfus, 
and Kathleen Turner were there. They were the they were the wow. three teams I've ever seen at a convention. And we our table was right like down the aisle from them. Kathleen Turner was super nice to every single person that walked up to her and talked to her. Got up, took pictures with them, and that's how right. a lot of people at the conventions are. Richard Dreyfus was a nice guy too, from what I understand. John Cusack didn't even look up at you when you were asking him for an autograph. And he had a baseball cap on, you know, and it's just like why like you are you are you have you have a career because of these people that are asking for your autograph and you're making a hundred grand in a weekend signing your fucking name. The least you can do is smile and say thank you, you know? But it is what it is. And that's that's the sad thing is that I wish that like me as a fan, when I, if I were going to conventions, what I what I would be looking for is movies that I don't own already. And and other stuff, merch like shirts and stuff, tangible sure. things. Sure. But most people, they go there with even the people that spend a lot of money, they'll go there with a thousand dollars in their pocket, and they'll spend two hundred and fifty bucks on the VIP pass, which gets them into the convention an hour early. Whoop de do, and then you know it gives them like a couple other perks, which well, whatever if they want that, great. But then they spend the rest of their money basically on autographs and they stand, stand in line to get these autographs all weekend instead of going and buying other stuff and supporting the little mom and pop people. So it you know. kind of takes away. So it's fascinating that you say this. Oh, shit. I think we just stalled out here. Shit. What just happened? Really? Are you here? Yeah, you're here. And it's still that was you recording up in the corner. Yeah, yeah. No, it's my the system is. Sometimes it, it pauses. Usually I'm the one that freezes and my guest is just like left there. Crickets chirping, uh, not, not knowing. But it, this time it was you. So you must have less Wi-Fi signal than I do uh, Weird, where, my, wherever you are. My juicer is right there. You know, huh. he's, he's cooking and I got one of the best, one of the best. But anyways, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, you it's uh, this is a very interesting. These are very interesting observations as someone who's an outsider of this world kind of looking in. And what I'm kind of hearing is that there's like two competing economies. You have the economy that kind of is the bread and butter. It's like it's the thing that gives the lifeblood to the convention in the sense that people are going because like, holy shit. He, they're going to be there and this person's going to be there and that person's going to be there. And that money keeps the, you know, helps them, you know, operate and do what they need to do. But then you have this other ecosystem, which is more independent, which is, you know, um, represents so many different, interesting, fresh, new kind of, or whatever you want to call it, how basically everything that you were just saying and that they are, actually in conflict with each other and one is always going to be the priority because of the reality of what they do for the convention over say the other guy even if it brings diversity and sort of interesting sort of you know fresh stuff to the table you know at the end of the day people are going because robert england's there you know. Yeah, and look, I mean, it's no different than a movie in the theater. You're not going to get an independent movie in the theater. None of our movies are going right. to be in the in the AMC multiplex because we don't have big stars in them. But if we were to get some big name in our movie, then it would be in the multiplex probably. So I completely right. understand it, and I'm not trash talking it by any means. I love horror. No, not at all. Not at all. And I love that horror is a genre that that 
provides conventions because you don't see comedy movie conventions out there, you know? So I think it's great. I absolutely love it. But like the, the contrast to that would be like a baseball card convention where like that my dad used to take me to when I was a kid, you go to a baseball card convention and it's like, and they're the same thing as a horror convention. They're in a hotel convention room. You go in there and you mm-hmm. got a bunch of vendors with all their baseball card collections sitting on a table and you flip through them and you find the ones that you want. And Hey, there's my 1968, you know, whatever Luis Aparicio baseball card or whatever it is. And I'm paying 10 bucks for it. And then there you go. The vendors are making money because that's what you're there for is to add your collection. But if Ryan Sandberg was at that convention, you'd be like, holy shit, I want to go meet Ryan Sandberg. Right. But, but you don't have to have Ryan Sandberg there to get people to a baseball card convention because they're going to build their collections. And that's the difference with horror, I think. In general. Thank you for clear. No, but thank you. I, you actually just at that last bit sort of really clarified what I was saying in a much, in a, in a clearer way. So thank you for that. So, so to, so what it is, is it's, it's, even if this stuff is the attraction, it still doesn't matter. People still want to buy horror movies and everything. It's just that one thing ends up distracting from the other thing. um, And they both have to occupy the same space. And I, I think it's more just like, I think it's, finding a happy medium where if you're directing a convention, you, you should be, especially if you're, if you're making a convention that brings in the audiences that I've seen at some conventions, right. You should be able to pay a good enough price to get these celebrities there so that they're, they're charging a lower amount for their autographs so that the fans who are there can then use less of their money to get the signatures and use more of their money to support some of the other people that are there vending products or services or whatever it may be. That's what's up. You know, because like, I don't, I'm not an autograph seeker at all. I think I've got like two autographs. I've got either, told, man. the original creature from a black lagoon that I met 12 years ago at a convention. Ooh. And then, um, uh, Ernie Hudson and Tony Todd. Those oh. are not, yeah, no, not Tony Todd, Ken for Sorry. Um, it was Dawn of the Dead, not Night of the Living Dead remake. That's what I got. And so I'm not, I'll pay 10 or 20 bucks for an autograph. That's what I loved about Sid Haig. Sid Haig always, always charged 20 bucks for his autograph, no matter what, no matter when it was. And I love that about him because he was like, I'm affordable. And he still did well. He still did real well. He had a line all weekend at his table and people loved him for it, you know? So I think that there's hundred dollars. That's just not sustain. It's not sustainable. Like it just doesn't, that's crazy, man. A hundred dollars for Robert. And here's the thing, like do these, I guess when these people pass away, the signature, I guess, increases in value. Like what's the point of the signature then? Is it just to have to hang up in your, like, I just don't understand. I I can't wrap my mind around it. I just don't get it. I mean, I've seen people, I've, I know a couple friends that have the walls or the rooms where the entire wall is covered with eight by 10. That's what it's about then. Okay. Of autographs. Yeah. To Got me, that's, that, that doesn't, I've always said like, like people talk to me about meeting John Carpenter, who's my idol. And I mm-hmm. did meet John Carpenter, which was awesome. Wow. But you know, I got, I got his autograph and, and stuff, but it's like, you know, 
I always said, I want to work with John Carpenter. I don't want to just meet him as a fan. I want to work with him as a, as a associate, you know, that's, that's how I want to experience the people that I respect in the business. But you know, that's probably never going to happen. Unfortunately, you never know. I did. I did. I not hear that he's directing that he's coming out of retirement to do yeah. something. Am I crazy? I don't know why he wouldn't, man. If I was John Carpenter, I like I I love that he's doing his music stuff with his sons and you know, and they're very successful. I mean, they're not even just doing their own stuff, you know, they just did the Firestarter uh soundtrack. Um, but like it's it's really great that that they're doing that and that there there's I've seen him twice in concert and it was freaking amazing. Nice. Uh, I don't know if you've gone and seen him in I concert. have not, but uh they went, you know, I used to listen to Shockwaves. Uh, and they would uh, they always talked about it they always would talk about um they would always talk about john carpenter you know kind of turning into you know a live performing musician and whatnot which is cool but like i want john carpenter movies man like i just give me just give me endless john carpenter movies you know he was doing the you know he was doing that tale that anthology tales comic book series for a while and i'm just kind of like Give me the movie version of that. Give me, give me Halloween every year, but as an anthology, the way it was originally intended with Halloween three, like just, you know, especially in light of like American horror story and it being so yeah. successful, yeah. like you would imagine John Carpenter and Deborah, I don't know if Deborah Hill's still around or if she's passed or I, I don't know what her deal is, Yeah, but like you'd imagine like, hey, I'm John fucking Carpenter. Like, let's take this Halloween. I have this Halloween brand. Let's do a Halloween movie. Go to Blumhouse. Hey, uh, now that now that Michael Myers is all you know going to be finished with Halloween ends, let's do Halloween. John Carpenter presents Halloween every fucking year because oh. Blumhouse is releasing movies every fucking year anyway. Give us a John Carpenter anthology series, man. <laughs> it seems like it seems like Jason Blum really does respect the the people that he took his cues from. You know, like oh, like yeah. I saw an article where apparently he's trying to bring Robert Englund back to play Freddy Krueger one last time. Get out of here, really? Yeah, and apparently Robert Englund is enthusiastic about the idea, which is really cool. So am I? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So it's like. To me, I look at John Carpenter and I say, okay, look, I understand why you stopped making movies. You stopped making movies because you were sick and tired of the Hollywood bullshit. And I agree with you 100%. That makes he wasn't sense. getting respect either. He wasn't getting no respect. He wasn't. But you know what? You're at the point now where I understand that your music is your swan song and good for you because you're doing what you love. It's like playing golf every day if you're a golfer or whatever. Right. But like, but like at the same point in time, you're John fucking Carpenter. If you want to go and make a $10 million horror movie, you can make a $10 million horror movie. And it's going to be amazing because it's John Carpenter's movie. I mean, tell me, tell me a John Carpenter movie from the, from the 80s, I'll say, that wasn't good. You know, they're, they're all good in their own way, shape or form. Even if you're don't, even if you're, you're, you're more attached to one than another, like he literally just had like a string of hits in the 80s. It was just yeah. unreal. And even some of his '90s movies were good. You know, I like Vampire. Yes. I like Ghosts of Mars, even though it's really terrible. I, I love Ghosts of Mars. It's so bad. It's like that was like, in my opinion, that's really his last film. Like, I know he did like something called Mortuary, but like Ghosts of Mars is really the last 
He did mortuary. What did he do? Mortuary. Uh, it was called mortuary or something. Hold on, I gotta look this up now. Um, no mortuary. Mortuary. No mortuary was Toby Hooper. Oh, am I confusing that? John Carpenter. He did the uh, the ward. The ward. Wow. In two thousand five, right? With Amber Heard, everybody's favorite actress. <laughs> Wait, that really starred Amber Heard. Well, I don't know if I don't know if that was her first movie, but she was in that. Yeah, she was the star of it. Oh um, my God, the ward. Okay, I thought it was Mor Mortuary. Was Toby Hooper? Okay, sure. gotcha. And I'll tell you what. Have you seen Mortuary? No, I I I was to both people told uh, a lot of people told me that both of those movies, Toby Hooper's and John Carpenter's, were not good. I I really enjoy Mortuary, and I also really enjoy Toby Hooper had two great swan song movies. Mortuary, which has the mom from Pet Cemetery in it. I okay. Top of my head. And um the Toolbox Murders remake. He did the right movie. in 2004. He did the Toolbox Murders. Great. I love that movie. I have not seen that one either. I have yeah, not I seen it. it. With the girl from May, I forgot her name. What is her name? Oh, she's in it. I you know, she okay. First of all, she also played Carrie in the Carrie remake from like yeah. the year 2000. That's number one. The first number Carrie. Two, Right. Number well, that was for it was like a made for TV one. Angela Bettis, that's her name. Angela Bennis. Um, number two, I just saw Eaten Alive for the first time on Shudder, which is well, it's it's a it's like a batshit movie, and yeah. it has Robert England in it, which I was like, holy crap, like he was so young. And it also has William Finley, who's in a bunch of Brian De Palma movies. He plays Phantom and Phantom of the Paradise, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I, that kind of blew me away. Um, that, that yeah, so Eaten Alive was was an interesting Hooper movie that I saw for the first time. But I've never seen Mortuary. Maybe I'll check it out for 31 yeah, Days of Halloween. It's, I enjoy it a lot. I think it's really cool. Um, it's kind of weird, kind of hokey, but I think it's a great contained horror movie. Um Okay. We talk about young Robert Englund, Galaxy of Terror again. You know, obviously, people always think of uh, V. Holy shit, he is in that. That yeah. is crazy. Yeah, he is very young in Galaxy of Terror. So, yeah. Anyway. Galaxy of Terror was 1980, right? Yep. It was, and, it, was and, it was their answer to Alien. Right. And, and Eaten Alive, I think, was 77, maybe. So, about three years yeah. apart. And, real young yeah he's young he's he's super young um in in those and then well i mean yeah yeah he's pretty he's pretty young i listen it's so weird because like it's like freddie really is that role that we're like he's he can kind of be ageless to play freddie like he can always play freddie you know like i would welcome i would welcome robert england right now back as far i don't even know how old he is probably like 80 years old but i still think he could do it you know I think he's 80. I would say 70s. I would say, I would say probably seven. Yeah, probably late 60s, early 70s. Because he mm. was probably 20 in Galaxy of Terror. So if you think 1980, you know, so. Right. I'm 60s. looking this up right now just because I my curiosity always gets the better of me. Robert England. What are you what are you calling it? What are you calling it right now? My wife just told me 75. 75. Yes, it's 75. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
Hey. He can do it, man. I listen. He he. I think he could. I think he could crush it as Freddie. I would. I would be very down to see it. And you know, it's kind of funny. Speaking of Jason Blum, it does kind of like you know, since this dude is like the king of like low, like low budget, low risk horror, and like just you know, so many big things have been like sort of discovered in that kind of way. I, you know, I once saw this idea proposed by Jeremy Gardner, the guy who did the battery, and I thought it was such a freaking interesting idea. It, he was saying it for Netflix, but I don't think, I mean, especially not now, Netflix wouldn't do it at the time, maybe. But Jason Blum is the type of guy who would, you know, take take $10 million or $5 million and give $100,000 to however many filmmakers that divides up to, to make movies. Yeah, and you got to imagine that a bunch of them are going to be just exquisite. And I for... think that. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. You go ahead, please. I think that he um, he produces those uh, Blumhouse produces those Hulu um, into the dark. Into the dark. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so technically, kind of doing it already. Yeah. To a degree, those are probably a little bit bigger. Those are probably like one and a half million, million budgets or something. Yeah. But um, and I know a handful of independent filmmakers have have done those. Gigi um, uh, Guerrero, Guerrero, I can't pronounce her name. She Gigi did one. Guerrero. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, she and now she's like, I, there's like a first look deal or something that she's got with Blumhouse, nice. which is cool because she's done a couple now. She did Culture Shock and she did um, Bingo Hell. I uh, saw Bingo Hell. Right, she did that for same same concept for Amazon. Was that also through? Was that through Blumhouse too? Uh, I do not know off the top of my head, but maybe, probably. With Richard Brake was in that. Yeah. You know, I just think it's such a cool concept. I loved. I watched every one of those Into the Darks. I watched them all. So, some of them were clunkers, and some of them were exquisite. And one of them. You know, it's funny. The best one, I think, was one called Down. It was Valentine's Day. It was the February one. And I got to tell you, it was just two people in an elevator. And I could not believe how it was really, really well done. Talk about making a a movie in one location with two actors and somehow making it really good. Another one that was good was the Julian Sands one, which was the Christmas one. nasty little things that was a pretty good one too i i those those into the darks are fun real fun i've seen a couple i saw pure i think it was pure was a good one pure was yeah. a pretty good one i didn't like it i, I thought it was pretty good i don't like hipster horror i'm not a fan of a, of a, horror, <laughs> movie. a horror movie where nothing happens for 90 minutes and then the last two minutes you get something that's not even really that amazing and then it ends and you're like what the fuck just happened you know, I really don't like that. Are, um, are you like Dom? Dom hates A24 with a passion, and I always love watching him, like, seethe when a new A24 comes out. He gets so mad. I mean, Dom Dom is so negative about so many things that it's, <laughs> it's sometimes it's, 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 it's like, Dom, just smile. <laughs> I just, I just laugh. I just laugh. Well, I know, I know. That's I, 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 I'm like, dude, you're my, you're, he's, one, he's one of my good friends, you know. And I'm yeah. like, you're such a nice guy, and you're so likable. Yet you're curmudgeon. So, he's curmudgeon-y. curmudgeon on Facebook. Like, stop. 
you know? Um, but I agree. I mean, I, I don't mind hereditary, but I, I hated midsummer. I thought it was so oh, dude. I loved midsummer. Loved oh. it. Did you wait? So did you see the Northman, which is not horror. It's more like, loved you it. like the Northman. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I loved, loved it. the Northman. Um, what about the witch? Did you like the witch? I do. I, I like the witch and I like the lighthouse. I don't I like the lighthouse. My father was really great with, we, we went and saw the witch together. Cause I said, I got my horror love from my father and it's great. Cause we haven't seen a lot of horror movies in the theater lately in the last yeah. probably 20 years. My dad and I haven't, but I was like, let's go see the witch. And so we went, we walked out of that theater. And my dad said, what the fuck was that? And because my dad's an old school horror guy. My dad was watching the black and white creature films in the theater when he was a kid with my grandma because my grandpa didn't like horror movies. So, you know, he's like the, the, the world war two vet type guy. And he's right. like, that's bullshit. It's not real. So my grandma would take my dad and that's how I got my love of horror. And so my dad's like, he's used to traditional horror, you know, the shit that I was raised on. And then he, you know, we walked out of the witch and he's like, what the fuck was that all about? I didn't even know what they were saying, let alone what was going on. So I, my father hates horror movies, but I convinced him and my mother to go see the witch because <laughs> what, what I did was, so I too saw the witch with my father, but here's what I did. I, I sort of lied to him. I was like, dad, like they speak in like 16th century English and it's really period. And then my dad's a history guy, loves history stuff. And he, he doesn't like to see stuff if it's, he won't watch any, the only fantasy he ever watched was Game of Thrones because the political intrigue was so interesting to him that he was able to overcome his hatred for like dragons and stuff to watch that. So I'm like, I'm like, dad, come on, let's go see the witch. So we go to see the witch and we're sitting there with my mom. I'm in between my mother and my father. And when the crow starts nibbling on the nipple, my dad just goes, my dad just lets out the sigh and he goes, oh. he gets up and he walks out and he waited for us. He wouldn't even he walked out of the witch. And he was like, you know, like my dad kind of is like, uh, my dad's kind of sounds like Rip Torn from Freddy Got Fingered. He's like, he's like, you know, you 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 tricked me. You tricked me. I'm never gonna do that again. And it was just, it was so funny, dude. That's funny, hilarious. I love your I love your Rip Torn reference. <laughs> Most people don't even know who Rip Torn is. It's just funny. I you know I once worked with his daughter briefly. Um, Rip Torn, Angelica Page. Rip Torn. I referenced him often because like my dad, like literally if you watch the movie, Freddie got fingered. My dad is a cross between the father in Freddie got fingered and Homer Simpson. Like that's my dad. And like, he's just like, like I, that's so that's like my, 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 uh, my like reference, my pop culture reference when trying to like tell stories about my father to like other people. Uh, I love that movie, by the way. I, I want to upload the pleasure. in the junk because of that movie. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that movie is just pure stupidity. It is. Everyone just to the last second of it, of the credits. It's such yep. a dumb movie. Yep, but that's why I love it. And that's why I love Rip Torn. Like the fact that they got an actor like Rip Torn to be in that movie just makes it that much like funnier. To, that just makes it funnier to me. I don't know. I just think it's hilarious. Yeah. Um. And you know, we we never got any more, but we do have that one. It is. It's an artifact of its time, right? Like so many things. Certainly is. Um. But listen, it's it's going on two hours, and it is late over here. 
And I, if I don't stop it now, I probably will talk about horror movies with you for like the next two hours because I literally could. Like, no, no, and I, you know, I, I love it. I, I wish we could have talked a bit about the movies that I've done, but let's let's definitely listen. You again. come back, you yeah. you yeah. come back, and I'll tell you something. Uh, I'm always I always have returned guests from time to time, so you're you're always welcome on the show. I really want to thank you for you know taking the time to you know come on here and uh bloody bites sounds super exciting um you know just sounds really great you can find it anywhere i mean like i said any streaming platform pretty much you can find it like i listed earlier and you know go to screenbox.com and, and, and sign up and you get your first month for free you don't even have to enter a code or anything from what i hear beautiful so you can check it out there and uh, yeah, thanks to you, Jeff, for having me on the show. It's good to see you and talk to you again. And um, thanks to your fans for for listening. I think it's awesome that people have been commenting and stuff while we've been watching and or talking. And um, it was a lot of fun. You, you got a really well produced show. And oh, and thank I, you. I I like doing it live because yeah, you get people that awesome. chime in from time to time, and um, you know, there's some times where it's like it all depends on the topic, but like you know, um, everybody's uh, we, we do a lot of misfit Sam Hain Danzig content when that happens. Yeah. People are just they love talking about that stuff, so it's you know, it's it's, it's all it's all a lot of fun. Um, everybody, if you want to know more about Tony and what he does and and all the stuff we've been talking about, again, all of the links are in the description when this video gets published properly. When it uh, when it finishes the live stream, I'll make sure to put it in the first comment or in one of the comments so people can click on the links there, too. And um, thank you again so much. So we're going to say goodbye the way that we always say goodbye here on the channel. We say peace and hair grease and we'll see you next time. Ciao.